Good evening. Welcome back. Should we pray together? Lord, we thank you for the way that you've designed us, the way you've designed music to minister to our hearts and souls, as well as our minds as we sing to you. Lord, the admonition we just heard to be still in our souls as we seek to trust you, to know that you indeed are God and you are working in our lives to lead us all the way home. And we don't mean our home here, our home with you, where we shall be like you, for we shall see you as you are. And we thank you for this precious promise. We thank you that you've said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And whatever need we find ourselves having, you said you are the great I am. And you are there. You are all that we need. Just as you promised to Abraham that you would be his great reward. And Lord, you are ours. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the revelation of your word, which gives us a greater insight as to who you are. And Lord, as we get a glimpse of that, would you just help us to lay ourselves at your feet, that you might make us more like you. Help us to be the salt and light you want us to be in this world while we're still here. And uh, we just want to commit this time to you further, that you would have your way in our hearts as we open your word. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we began this morning... Well, I guess we continued this morning taking a look at this idea of spiritual maturity. Certainly we saw the, uh, the goal before us, marking uh, clear characteristics that we can look at very practically and see as we compare ourselves to the Lord and how He demonstrates these, how we measure up, knowing that this is not just for the elders, but for all of us as believers, right? And um, where we ended was in Romans chapter 12. And the Lord has used this so many times in my own life. Trying to get a hold of the process, the pattern for becoming spiritually mature. And... Um, what we noted this morning is that this is step one in this process of growing in Christ. He's speaking to believers, and as we read again in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He said this is only reasonable. This is the most rational response to understanding the true mercies of God that he's given to us in Christ. Now, it's very interesting. We, the, we didn't have time this morning to look at, at all these different things, but this idea of beholding God and presenting ourselves set apart to him, holiness. There's a couple passages that stand out in my mind to show that this is really what Paul has in mind. And if you'll just go with me once more before we get into these last three stages of the, the pattern or process, I, I would like to, um, to just walk you through these two. Number one would be Isaiah chapter 6. We have 
a prophet of God who served for, it appears, a good 60 years in the service of the Lord, spanning the kingly reigns of four different kings. And the first king mentioned in this book is King Uzziah. But notice here in Isaiah chapter 6, he has a vision. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this is the scene we referred to this morning about how great God's holiness is. But notice this. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Notice what happens here. The vision gives him a sight of the Lord in his holiness. He sees what terrifies him, the smoke filling the temple. His glory, it says he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He saw that he was the, the omnipotent one on the throne of the universe. Here, and, and the very creatures gathered around him as they, as they were in his presence, were declaring God's holiness, and it caused Isaiah to fall on his face, acknowledging his uncleanness in comparison, but God extended to him cleansing and said, your sin is purged. And the second response to that by the work of God is that God is inviting him. He's extending a call, an invitation. Who, who will go for us? And what is Isaiah's response? Consecration, a setting of himself before the Lord. Here am I, send me. This is the pattern we saw this morning, right? And, and it begins not, it says, in view of the mercies of God. Somehow it's the beholding of the greatness of God, not only in his perfections of character just in general, but the mercies that he's extended to us individually out of those perfections. And it moves us to a place of consecration, of dedication to him, the beginning of holiness in our own lives. Note for, with me one more similar situation. We go back to Exodus. We've recently studied this, haven't we? Exodus chapter 20 this time. <clears throat> Here we have the people of Israel now gathered at Sinai. And in chapter 19... It was announced to them that they should prepare themselves because God was going to come down and speak to them. And as God came amongst them, chapter 19 gives us a picture 
Verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And it goes on talking about the blast of the trumpet and the Lord in chapter 20 begins to give to them the Ten Commandments. He speaks to the people out of the mountain. Chapter 20 now, after the conclusion of giving the Ten Commandments, it says in verse 18, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was, and the Lord spoke to Moses. Brethren, we have two responses to this vision of God. Isaiah, Moses are the right pattern. They drew near. He reminded them, God's not trying to scare you away. The people were, 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 were pulling back from God because of the vision they had of him. The, the, the vision of his holiness and greatness caused them to retreat. But he wanted them to be priests. That's what was happening in chapter 19. He said, I want you to be my priests from all the house of Israel, a kingdom of priests. And they didn't receive it. Rather than drawing near as a priest should do, they drew back. And so that's when God called Aaron and his sons to be priests. And the Levites would serve in the temple. But brothers and sisters, this is the lot that has now fallen to us. We are a kingdom of priests. First, John, or First Peter chapter 2 says we are a holy priesthood. We are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests who he has declared holy unto himself. And now we have a place to offer and to serve and to draw near. But in order to draw near as we should, it begins with this, getting a grip, a vision of who God really is. And as we see him for who he is, we should draw near. And so Moses said to them, catch this now in verse uh, 20, do not fear, do not cower away, for God has come to test you. Why? So that his fear may be before you and so that you may not sin. See, as we see his greatness, the reverence that we should have for God should give us a desire not to sin so that we can be separate from this world, from its mold, and be transformed into his image. That's what Romans 12 is telling us, right? In view of the mercies of God, this great God has given you forgiveness. He's he, he has reckoned to your account the righteousness of Christ. He set you free. And now, in view of these mercies, draw near. Set yourselves as an offering to him, like Isaiah did. That's that one-time dedication where you just relinquish it all to him. He now has the title deed, the reins of your life. That's what we were at this morning. But see, I think it's important. I didn't highlight this morning so much. How do we get that? We need to view those mercies, view who he is, 
who we really are compared to him? Nothing. Woe is me, Isaiah said, but oh, it was the Lord who took the tongs and cleansed him and said, arise, right? And I will use you, I will send you, I will, I will make you my servant. And that's what we are striving for, to be this vessel of honor fit for the master's use. He says, cleanse yourselves, First, uh, Second Timothy. Cleanse yourself of all this unfilthiness and you will be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. So it begins with that dedication and we'll continue. Okay, so that was Romans 12. <clears throat> but notice, I want to, to just kind of um, highlight this pattern established in these other two passages I mentioned this morning because they seem to line up together. Second Peter chapter 1. Notice now, three times in this passage, he's going to mention a key ingredient here. Notice verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What's the goal? The knowledge of him. To be able to truly see him and perceive him for who he is. The knowledge. And this is not just filling our minds, but the experiential... Um, Intimate, intimate knowing of God. Okay. As his divine power has given to us all things in pertain, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which, we have been by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice this. He says, I want you to partake of the divine nature. That's the nature of God, of Christ. So he says he's given us promises, he's given us all things necessary to do that, and it comes through the knowledge of him. Okay? Verse 5. But also for this very reason, the reason that we might be partakers of that nature, it's why he's, this is what he's given them to us for, that through these you may be partakers of this divine nature. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. Now, <clears throat> again, I see this as a, pro as a, as, as a uh, process that builds on itself. It says, add to your, to your faith virtue or excellence and to your excellence knowledge. And as I go through this list, I, I say, you know what? This is the way it really happens. It's not like we just jump around, but you know, once we're saved and we have faith, he wants that faith to take on greater and greater value. It says to add excellence to that faith. And so we, we have to be somehow building upon my trust in God, but now he's building some excellence, some, some virtue, character into my life. But how does that, there's only so far I can go with what I know until I increase in uh, knowledge. Right? I, I'm trying to add on to my faith, greater trust in him, an expanding of, of, this, of him occupying my life, and now, okay, I need more knowledge to go further. And, and now that I've added some knowledge, suddenly I realize, hey, I'm falling short in this area of my life. I need some self-control to help stop doing this and increase in this and, 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 and to reach forward to this. It's going to take some more self-control. And after a while, after some self-control has been added, I realize, hey, I'm still struggling with this. I need perseverance. Don't give up, right? 
Uh, now I've, I'm, I'm persevering even though I, I, I see where I'm falling short in spite of my self-control, in spite of my knowledge, in spite of the trying to add this excellence to my faith. And then he says, add to your perseverance godliness. Sometimes when, we, when, when we're trying to persevere, we can burn out and we might give up. But he says, no, keep reaching for godliness christ didn't give up on us he never gave up on his faithfulness and so we're trying to be like him now in our after persevering to become godly and sometimes through all this perseverance and even as we see ourselves progressing be easy to start judging those around us who may not be progressing and he says listen add to that brotherly kindness people around you they need grace too and as you look at them and you extend grace uh add your brotherly kindness love even if they're not progressing, in spite of what? Love. It's the capstone. And so there's a progression here, but he, there's a process. And so we begin so that we can become partakers of the divine nature. And then he comes down and he says, for whoever, if these things are yours and abound, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal is to know him. This is what Jesus said in John 17, 3, right? This is eternal life, that we may know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. How do we do that? We gotta give ourselves to him, dedicate ourselves, and enter into this process where he builds these things into our lives, where we cooperate with him. There's discipline involved. We're gonna come back to that. There's uh, uh, depending on him as he works them into us, but then there's also this developing we're never quite arrived. It's, it's, it's progressive. And he says, if these are yours and abound, they're increasing. So we're never really going to completely arrive, right? But this is the process. Dedication, some discipline on our part while we depend on him at the same time. And now we, we see development. Now, this is the general flow, but now let me go back. Um, Philippians 3. <clears throat> Paul again, we're going back to Paul. Paul's writing to the Philippians about his own testimony. And this has always been an encouragement to me. He shows part of the process. Before he was saved, his confidence was in the flesh. Verse 4 talks about that. He says, if anyone else thinks he can have confidence in his flesh, I have more than him. He, he goes through how he was circumcised the eighth day. He was from a particular tribe. He was trained by the Pharisees and he had tremendous zeal persecuting the church. All these things. When the righteousness that comes from the law comes into this picture, he says, I was blameless. I had it all going for me. But when he found Christ, look at this, verse seven. But what things were gained to me, I have now counted them loss for Christ. Notice again, this is past tense. He says, all those things I offered him up threw him away for the sake of knowing Christ, for Christ. Verse eight, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death 
and if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, Paul doesn't use words lightly. This is the second time he talks about a pattern from his own life. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is the other time where he said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And he said, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So I know I've read a lot of scriptures and there's a lot of words there, but catch this. He says, my very life is a pattern for Christians who will come after me. I was one of the worst sinners there was. In fact, he calls himself the chief of sinners. But Christ showed me mercy that as he worked in my life, showing all the long suffering necessary to bring me to maturity, I will become a pattern for those who believe. And now at the end of his life, he's been serving the Lord all these years. And in, Philipp in Philippi, he says, now listen, here is my life goal. Here is the process I have committed my own life to, to achieve this spiritual maturity. And you note those who walk this way because you have us for a pattern. It is the pattern process for us. This is the process we should be following. And I see the same things coming up here. He says in verse 7, look, all these things that were so important to me in the flesh, counted them all as loss for Christ. That's the dedication, the once for all. It's past tense. I've offered myself to God now. All that stuff that was important to me, it's not important to me anymore because now I'm seeking Him. Step two, the discipline. It says, yet indeed I also count, this is present tense now, all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. He says later in the verse, that I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now I thought he knew Christ. Well, there's something more of Christ that he wants to gain in his own life. And I believe it's the character of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. And that's what he goes on to say, so that I may be found in him. Now again, this in him, we talked about it this morning. All believers are in Christ positionally but now in our daily lives paul says i want to be found in him you know of any passages that talk about that anyone thinking john 15 right i know that these are a lot of metaphors and passages but i, I want to see the the congruency of them all we line them up together jesus said i'm the vine and you're the branches you want to bear fruit then you need to abide in me remain in me now we're not talking about salvation here but somehow as there is that branch tapped into the 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 root of the vine the stalk it's deriving its strength its nutrition its life from that vine and jesus said without me you can do nothing 
Listen, we can, we can follow all the rules and commands of the scriptures to try to produce holiness in our lives and these character qualities. It's not going to do it. Jesus said it. Without me, you can do nothing. You've got to abide in me like that branch abides in the vine. And when it does, all the strength, all the nutrients that's needed for the life of that branch will flow in. And Paul says, I count everything else in my life as rubbish. That's a nice way of saying like a dunghill, okay? Um, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want the life of Christ flowing through me. Isn't that what Galatians 2.20 says? I mean, these, these passages are things that sometimes we just rattle off. He says, um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith, dependency, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm not the one living out this stuff in my life. God's working it in me as I lean on him. My old life is dawn, gone, crucified, put to death, and now Christ is living in me. I'm depending upon him. And it's, a, and it's a continual thing, day by day, of putting myself in the place of leaning on Christ, attaching myself to him, remaining in him. Now, that's so ethere theoretical, right? What does that mean? We abide in Christ. I suppose books have been written on that, but it's, it's hard to describe. For one, it certainly needs to be being in the Word of God. This is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, right? Martha was distracted in her serving the Lord, so much so that she was uh, troubled in her heart, grumpy, growling at her sister, charging the Lord with not caring. And Jesus said, Martha, you're distracted over so many things. Mary has chosen the good part. And he said, really, there's only one necessary thing, and that's what she's chosen. Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. If there's going to be any transforming of our mind, Romans 12, it's because the word of God is going to wash it. As we, <clears throat> that's what it says in Ephesians 5. It talks about Jesus and the church. He washing his bride with the washing of the water of the word. And so there's going to have to be each and every one of us in our own individual lives spending time with the Lord in the Word. Now, that's pretty practical. I know we've all heard it before, but I have to ask myself, and I invite you to ask yourself the same question. Do I really spend time with the Lord in His Word? How much time do we spend? I heard someone mentioning the other day about all the hours that they calculated for someone who lives 70 years they spend like 20 years sleeping <laughs> and so many years waiting in line and so many years at the red light and, and how, many, how much time do we spend per day, per week, per month, per year with the Lord and his word? And if the truth be told, I think we'd all, if we stacked up all of our numbers together, still be pretty embarrassed, even grouping them all together. Because it's so easy to let the Lord be squeezed out of our life. But to abide there somehow means I've, I've, I've drawn close to him. 
I've, I've attached myself to him. And that's where the daily discipline comes in. The discipline, where, do I see Paul? He says here, I've counted these things as rubbish so that I may fa be found in him. Everything else I've set aside, cast it away so that I can do that. Peter said, add to your faith, add to your virtue. There's a process he said, commit yourself to. There's a command to us, even though it's partaking of the divine nature, he's calling us to do something. So are we doing them? Of course, it's not just the reading. We can all just flip on the CD player or just kind of blindly run through and our minds might not even be plugged in there, but that's where the discipline of these things comes together with the depending upon him, the leaning upon him, where the, by faith, taking those promises, those things that he tells me, the leaning on him to produce that character in me that, that I can't produce on my own. And Paul would go on to say, listen, really what I'm desiring is that I may know him. This discipline part is very routine, right? Reading our Bible. I remember the first time I was challenged to really read my Bible. I would do a few moments, but John MacArthur said, you know, Here's the be this is the way he recommends the people to learn to start reading the Bible. And this is where it finally clicked in for me. So take a book like 1 John, five chapters, read it every day for a month. Take you 15 minutes. He didn't say study it. He didn't say memorize it. Simply read it for a month. I said, okay, I can do that. Lunch is longer than that. I took my little New Testament with me to school and I started reading 1 John. Day one, if you'd asked me what I read, well, um, okay, you mentioned confessing your sins in chapter one. Uh, I knew that verse already. Uh, I don't know how much I could have told you. But you know, by the end of week two, if you'd have said, what's First John about? Well, you know, first one, chapter one talks about fellowship with him and walking in the light and, and confessing our sins. And chapter two talks about uh, 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 finding forgiveness by our, our, our advocate with the Father and and different things that if we're practicing, it shows that we're not really walking with him. And, and I began to start remembering general themes in the book. And after a month, I probably could have broken down most of what was in the book and just kind of rattled it off to you. And that, that in itself was impressive to me. But you know, then I went to the next book. And he said, well, take another book like Philippians. I don't remember which book he specifically recommends, but it's even shorter. You got four chapters there. And uh, start reading that. And again, after the first week, couple days reading it, I, I wasn't necessarily catching all the themes yet. And all, but suddenly I remember one day reading something and saying, wait a minute, that was mentioned in 1 John. And, oh, hey, and over here too. And, and by the third month when I had two books that I'd been reading 30 times and reading the new third book, I was flipping around my New Testament thinking, wow, it's all, look at that. And I remember that's what I used to see my dad doing when he studied the Bible with me. I, you know, I was like, uh, where is that verse about, um, uh, how does he know those things? Well, you know how he knows them? He's spending time in the book, time in the presence of the Lord, doing the discipline of putting myself in the place like Mary, where I'm seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And John says in his gospel, chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit just doesn't speak 
strange things to you. He speaks that which he hears. And I'm convinced that one of the primary ways he uses that in our generation is when we're reading God's word, the spirit within us hears it and he brings it back to remembrance. It's not going to be new revelation. But if I'm pouring it in, he's got it to speak to me. And so the discipline, this is what Paul was doing. You know, we think of Paul going to the, the, this particular city and doing miracles. And he did. And, and, and we think of him getting run out of town and stoned to death. And, and we have his testimony. He did. But not every day. You know what he was doing every day? The discipline. He dedicated himself to God. He got to see the Son of God. Or at least so much bright light that, that he, he got knocked off his horse, right? But he, he got a glimpse and it changed his life. We need to get a glimpse like Isaiah, like Moses, like Paul, so that we're willing to, to deal with the discipline, the daily grind of just putting ourselves in that place where he can do that work that we've now given him the permission to do. So spending time with him, and I would say, you know, they used to say, the Bible's how God speaks to you and prayer's how you speak to God. And that's true, but it's more than that. Sometimes when we're praying, the Lord gives answers to our questions while we're still praying. Prayer is how we communicate with God and it's a two-way thing. We need to be listening to God while we're praying. Listening for his answers, his reminders from the word. And sometimes I used to think I was a little schizo Sometimes I would pray out loud and I found myself, as he brought answers to my mind, actually saying all those answers out loud and, and responding to them further. And, and suddenly I thought, if someone saw me right now, they'd probably be bringing a nice big white suit and bring me to a padded room. But really, it was, it was like God was in the room with me. But he was, and he is. But the daily discipline of putting ourselves there is how we learn to recognize his voice, right? That still small voice of the Spirit and learning to discern his voice from ours. And this is one of the marks of maturity. I'm going to jump out of the pattern and process for a moment and just have you look with me at Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews is, is rebuking these particular Hebrews because he says, you ought to be ready to teach others, but yet you yourselves need to go back to kindergarten to relearn the basic things in the faith. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles, that is, the basic steps of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You're back to babies. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now you see, it's not an automatic thing for us to understand and hear the voice of God and to be able to distinguish it from ours and to be able to discern between the clean and the unclean. I thought this was interesting. When Nadab and Abihu brought their strange fire before the Lord, the Lord gave clear instruction to Moses and to Aaron. And he said, those who come before me must regard me as holy. And then he goes on to say an explanation of why they were priests. And one of the things was to offer these sacrifices, but also so that they, he told them, don't be drinking wine and strong drink. 
As you come before me, you need to be clear-headed so that you can discern between clean and unclean and holy and unholy. How do we discern this? Hebrews tells us we get that by reason of practice, use. We train our senses to be able to discern the, the thought that flashes through my head. Is that the Lord speaking or me? You know, we do that, right? Sometimes we're praying and we have what we want God to say. And, well, Lord, should I do that or not? And, of course, my own flesh wants to say, yes, yes, yes. Did you hear the yes? Uh-huh. And you're like, okay, well, Lord, I'm not really sure whether that was you or me. I'm still figuring it out here, right? Well, we're training our senses to discern between the good and the evil. And that's what marks the mature person. He can eat the solid food of Scripture because he's been taking it in for, for, for a long time now. He's gone from just milk to being able to, to, to rightly divide the word of truth, and he's putting it away. And now, because of this daily routine and discipline of practicing, my senses are trained to be able to discern these things. That's not overnight. Just like it took me months to get to that place in my daily reading of the word before I realized what it was doing to me, Right? Sometimes we start a diet for a day and we run to the scale and find out, did I lose any weight? And we expect instantaneous results because that's our culture, right? We got the microwave. But there's no microwave Christianity. God's calling us to maturity. He's calling us to holiness. And we have to, first of all, dedicate ourselves to him once for all. And I hope that, that you had time to think about that today. If you haven't done it, that you've decided to offer yourself fully to him. And if you have, okay, we're, we're together now. He says, pick up the daily discipline. Paul was doing Philippians chapter 3. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm casting these things aside so I can be found in him so that I may know him. And not just to know him in my mind, but to experience his life in me. And here's the scary part. He says, I want to see the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He's not talking about so that he'll go to heaven when he dies. He says, listen, the power of the new life of Jesus was imparted to him after he died. The power of the new life. That's what Romans 6 talks about. And, and I meant to mention that earlier. This is, this is where the daily presenting comes along. We already did the once for all. But, you know, in Romans 6, and we often talk about this at baptism because that's the word picture used here. When we trust in Christ as our Savior, he says the Spirit baptizes us into Christ. We're united with Him in the likeness of His death. And we know that because that's true, we'll be united, will we be with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. But it goes on to say, look, knowing that your old man has been crucified with Him, so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because he who has died has been freed from sin. Where's the verse? Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Uh, the life that he, the de death that he died, he died to sin once for all, that the life that he lives, he lives to God. The power of the new life comes after the death. So because we're united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll be with him in the resurrection life. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you who believe. And what does that mean? That means when I follow Christ, then I lay down my life for him. At times he says, you give up that thing you want to do right now to go talk to someone else for me. You go encourage that brother or sister who's, who's, who's just discouraged right now. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do that really, but I'm going to die to myself to do what God wants me to do. And as in obedience, I die. You know what happens? The resurrection power of Jesus is alive in me. And Paul's saying, I want to know Christ so badly. And not just mentally, but to experience that resurrection power in my life 
so that sin doesn't have control over me. It's falling away because I'm presenting myself to Christ. And that's the part I didn't read in Romans 6. It says, so don't present yourselves to be mem your members to be instruments of sin anymore. You present yourself to be instruments of righteousness to God. So there's a choice. I daily have to make this choice of where I'm going to present myself to sin or to the Lord. That's the daily discipline. And as I come before him and I get a glimpse of him again, it gives me the motivation to want to do that. It helps me to, to, to let his word take residence in my heart so that I'll be willing to die to myself, depending upon him. And he gives that impartation of the strength and the character that I need in that moment. I'll never forget the most striking time in my life where I recognized that it was God moving in me. I was at a week of camp with this kid it was like every 10 minutes he was beaten up on somebody. And I knew he had a rough home life, but I, 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 I knew he was, his parents were separated. I really, didn't really, really know many details. I just knew that you fix one problem, and by the time you could settle all that, he had already gotten into a scuffle with someone else. And by Thursday, oh man, maybe it was Wednesday, because there was still a few days left. But I remember we had just had a nice game time, and all of a sudden, someone comes running up to me. He threw sand in some girl's face from the volleyball field. And I was like, oh man. So I call him over to myself, and we're walking back over to the dining hall to clean up something. And all I wanted to do was just reach over and say, what happened over there? That's the way I felt. But in my heart, I just said, Lord, help me. Help me love this kid. And I turned to him. Instead of the, what happened over there? I heard myself say, so what happened? Who was that? That's li literally how I felt. But see, I had been spending consistent time in God's word, seeking to present myself to him. And in the moment where I needed it, and I didn't have it myself, I was willing to let go of what my flesh was saying and doing. And I reached up and said, Lord, help. And he imparted to me, in spite of me, love a fruit of the spirit and as I turned to that young man I said so what happened over there and it was just an innocent question just like that and he began to tell me about what happened and you know so why did that and, and just with a few follow up questions the next thing I know we're sitting down in the dining hall missing whatever snack shack or whatever was going on but you know he poured out to me what was going on in his home and I believe he was a, a, a Christian but he had such a, a, a terrible upbringing. He didn't know how to be kind to people. But as we sat there and talked and we prayed together, you know what, the next two days in our cabin, the first thing that would happen in any event is he was the one running over saying, guys, we need to pray about this. And I thought to myself, what would have happened if I hadn't have reached up to the Lord and asked for his help in that moment? He really did blossom in just a few days. I don't know what happened when he went home. His dad was moving to a new state. And he was going and totally transplanting to another part of the country, and I lost touch with him pretty quickly. But I'll never forget that moment. See, it's a work of God in our lives. And so we present ourselves to him, and we commit to doing our part. He commands us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's our job. 
but it says by his spirit, Romans 8, 13, by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. So it's a dependence upon the spirit while we do our part of putting ourselves in the place through that daily discipline and we let him work. And then we begin to see progress. That was just one major event in my week. How many major events can you look at if you begin to log that daily discipline with the Lord, having presented yourself to him? I don't know how often it'll come. But we'll never know if we don't start. And, or continue to reevaluate how much have I really been putting myself before him in that daily discipline, my responsibility, that dependence on the Spirit, for him, trusting him to do his part, and then letting him grow. Now, Paul says this, if I can finish with Philippians 3, and I love this part. Philippians 3. He said, this is my goal. He said, I'll know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. We know what Christ went through in laying down his life for us. We take fellowship in those same kind of sufferings, being conformed to his death. In obedience to the word of God, we lay down our lives for doing his will, taking on, letting him work his character into us. If by any means I might attain to that resurrection from the dead, I want to attain to that same resurrection power alive and real in my daily life right here. Not that I've already attained this, right? He says, I'm not already perfected. But see, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. That partaking of the divine nature, he's laid hold of me for that purpose. And I'm reaching forward that I may lay hold of that very thing that he laid hold of me. But brethren, I don't count myself as having apprehended it yet. But one thing I do, and I pray this for myself and for you, that this would become the one thing we choose to do. Forgetting those things which are behind. And no matter how many times you failed, don't let that hold you back. You Present yourself to God. You do the daily discipline. Let him forgive you for all the times that you fail. That's the, the other part of that beautiful uh, um, abiding in him is we stop abiding. We, we go off in the flesh, but we can come right back, confess our sins, and he cleanses us and puts us right back in, right? He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward that goal. And I believe that's the knowing him. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the maturity. Therefore, as many of us as are mature, you have this mind too. He says, if there's anything in your life that's not like that, he's, he'll show you. And to whatever degree you've already attained, keep on with that. Keep living by that same rule. Keep doing the discipline. Keep trusting in him, depending on him, because you're going to see gradual growth. It's going to be progressive. He says, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't attained it all, but I'm moving forward. It's an upward call in Christ Jesus. And there's a real prize of getting to know him in this process. And so he says, Mark those who are living this way. Join in following my example. This is the pattern. But sadly, there's many around us that are not following that pattern. And it's easy for us to get tripped up. Maybe we've been the person tripping others up by not following the pattern. But brothers and sisters, that's what Peter tells us. If these characteristics are true in you and are increasing, you'll never stumble you will not find yourself barren or unfruitful in the true knowledge of Christ. So let us pursue him. You know, the list, they're measurements for our progress. But let's not live by the list. Let's focus our eyes on Christ. Let's present ourselves to him. Do the daily presentation to him, the daily disciplines, trusting him, and let him bring about the growth in his timetable as he sees fit moment 
by moment. Father, thank you for the diligence of these dear saints listening to your word and, and to me trying to feebly expound on it this evening. Lord, this is a, a theoretical concept, this pattern of abiding in Christ, of the discipline and dependence and how it works together. But Lord, you know how to make it work. You've just asked us to be obedient. Would you give us such a glimpse of yourself that rather than like the Israelites at running away, we would desire to draw near, that we would just desire in love for what you've done for us to offer ourselves a living sacrifice once and for all to you. And that as we do that and we commit ourselves to that daily routine, our reasonable service, Lord, that, that we would trust you to do what only you can do and keep us from being conformed to this world. Please transform our minds that we might prove in our lives, not just looking back at those ones who in the scriptures who did it, not reading those missionary biographies of those who've lived before, but even today, Lord, that you would make us those examples of what it means to follow Christ, to know him, to count all but rubbish that we just might attain to that level of knowledge and be found in him. Lord, we commit ourselves afresh to you. You hear the cries of each one here. I pray that if there's anyone who has been moved in their hearts, that you would help us now to go from emotion to commitment, that we would make the changes, that we might see changes in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.